Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning, and to all the dads out there, happy Father's Day. You know, one of the greatest uh, blessings that God's ever given me is the opportunity uh, to be a dad to Emma and Grayson. Um, Over the last several years, uh, he's developed a a deep joy uh, in me, more so than ever before, of of what it means to be a dad as my kids have become teenagers and and all that that means and all that uh, looks like. And in fact, I'm walking over here, Grayson's serving over in kids ministry, but Emma's here. Um, So I'll tell this story real quickly. Did you say I'm scared? Is that what you just said? Yes, she's nodding her head, yes. Um, Normally I have to get permission to tell the stories, but since it's Father's Day, I don't have to have permission to tell stories. So um, one of the things in how God's done this in my life is what I've realized um, as my beautiful daughter is 14 years old is that uh, things that I used to do that she thinks, that she thought were funny, now I do them and they're embarrassing, right? And so one of the things that I love to do, and she knows this, is I love to go to the grocery store with her and dance while we walk down the aisles. And I like to sing as loud as I possibly can in there as well. And so, Emma, thank you for letting me be your dad and for dancing and singing and embarrassing you, just like I'm doing right now, sweetie. I love you. Um, and your brother worked that out well that he's over at Kids Ministry right now. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Uh, I, I want to echo everything that Berger said about all that happened and took place at VBS. It was an absolutely wonderful week. Uh, one of the doors that God opened for us. Uh, if you were here, whether that be a volunteer, whether that be a kid, whether that be a parent, grandparent, you know that, and you saw it last Sunday, right? We had this building decorated with all, all the rooms, all the walls. There was this wonderful train and Rocky Mountain theme that just wrapped through all of the building, and it really helped add to the week. Um, And and so God last week began to open doors. I just want to share this because I believe that this is a part of what the church is called to be in in, in unity and not just our church, but as we look at the church as a whole. And we started taking phone calls from other churches uh, in uh, in our state who uh, heard about or, or had access to, to knowing about the, the decorations that we have. And, and the cool thing is, is usually for a lot of this happens with VBS is we have these decorations. A lot of people put a lot of time and energy and effort and ability into creating them. Um, they're not free. And so they cost us and, and you guys give faithfully a lot of money to buy the supplies or, or buy the materials and things needed to build these, these sets. And then, and then they either break or, or they get thrown away or they get put in a storage closet and, and, and maybe we use Use them again, but, but more than likely not. And so uh, this past week, uh, Lisa Vanham did a wonderful job as our director, and I started taking phone calls. And, and so when it's all said and done, there's going to be four churches that are going to end up using all of the resources that we've had to help show and do uh, their VBS for their churches. And, and what's remarkable about that is every single one of these churches is not a church uh, that could afford to do some of the things that we were able to do. And so it's just a, a praise to the Lord for all that he's done in 
and opened up for that. And so just for me, that's a big celebration for this past week. Uh, going into next week, I got a prayer request for you guys. Uh, we're going to be taking uh, 28 students and adults to Somersault. That's our youth camp. I'll be going on that trip this year and, and leading that and, and looking forward to that. And so tomorrow morning, we'll be meeting up here, uh, a group of us, and headed down to Charleston Southern University for a week-long summer camp. And, and, and it'll be a wonderful time. Uh, if you were raised going to youth camps, you know how impactful they can be. And so I'm looking forward to a lot of energy, a lot of loud music, a lot of funs and games with students, and minimal sleep. All right. And so when I get back on Friday, I'll go hibernate for, for the remainder of Friday and Saturday and be back with you guys next Sunday, but looking forward to that. So we're um, going to be continuing on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want to read to you guys Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Um, this is where Paul lists these, and this is what we've been studying from. And he writes and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so we've been working through these each week. We've done love and we've done joy, and this week we will get to peace. Now, when we think of these, remember, I want to kind of recap all of them briefly, right? And so love is not our love. Love is not a fading love. Love is not a temporary love. Love is not a conditional love. Love is an unconditional love. It's God's love. It's the love that God's shown us and what God has done for us and how God has loved us. And so God says, take that love and go love others. Go love everyone. Go love sacrificially. Go love unconditionally and see and begin to see people the way that I see people as we love them. And then in that, we experience joy, all right? And so we looked at joy last week. Joy is not found in our circumstances, but joy is found in our relationship with God. Joy is centered in the spiritual things of the Lord, and that's what we have this out of. Happiness is a wonderful, beautiful thing that God gives us that in these moments, it's like that video that we just saw about all those precious kids kind of talking and making fun about their dad a little bit, right? That brought great happiness into the room as we were able to laugh and to experience that and to have those moments. But that is not what joy is. Joy is not from moment to moment, but joy rises above all of conditions. And so that's why we can walk through some of the hardest times in our life with our joy firm and our joy secured because our joy is found in Christ and not in the situations of life. And so this morning, what we're going to look at, what we're going to talk about is peace. Now, I want to give you guys a little disclaimer. Studying for this message this week, there were so many verses, so many aspects of understanding peace that honestly, like one message wouldn't come close to doing it justice. Like we could take a whole section, a whole season of our year and dedicate that to studying biblical peace and we would still walk away not having fully grasped all of the richness that scripture draws from that. But this morning, I want to kind of just give us an, an, an overview, but diving into some very specific specific areas about peace that you and I can, can know what it means to live in peace, to be people of peace, and extend peace to others, right? Because that can be a very, very difficult time. I don't know when it started, but I feel like I heard someone say one time the, the, the issue of the great debates that centralize in the United States— started in the 1980s with talk shows. Debates have always been around. 
Political debates have been around. Debates between neighbors have been around. Debate between husband and wives. Debates between churches over theological matters have always been there. But in the 1980s, when talk shows really became prevalent, that people would actually sit down from their busy, chaotic, hectic week and watch people in order to relax, yell at each other for 30 to 45 minutes on TV. And what has happened over the course of time has been that has spilled over into every area of our life to the point to where this morning I I get in my truck, I I crank up my truck, and I'm heading here, and I'm listening to a national talk show, a sports talk show, and in the 20 minutes that it takes to ride from my house to the church this morning, all everyone did was call in and yell at one another about who was a better basketball player, LeBron James or Steph Curry. 20 minutes of it. And it's going to continue on and on and on. And so we live in a culture and a time, whether it's politically, whether it's sports, whether it's pop culture, or no matter what it is, we are, we are stuck in this cycle of debating and arguing and battling back and forth. And as I've looked through these and as I've thought through these different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, I, I think my heart would go this morning that peace may be the most difficult one based off the culture in which we live right now. Some of these details as we look at peace, peace is not a New Testament concept. It's not an Old Testament concept. It is a a biblical concept. And and the Old Testament is referred to as shalom will be the word that you see. And, 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 And the definition, and I love this, as you look at Old Testament peace, it's the appearance of calm between individuals, groups, and nations. Right? The appearance of calm between individuals, groups, and nations. So not that there's really truly peace, but there's the appearance of peace. Yes, amen, we know what that looks like, right? We walk into work, there's conflict, but we gotta get along, so there's the appearance of peace. We're walking through a difficulty in our marriage, right? And we come in and we don't wanna yell, we don't wanna scream anymore, but there's the underlying tension, and so there's the appearance of peace. We know what that can mean, and we know how that can be fading just as quickly as it came, it can pass. In the New Testament, though, the word that is used for peace is the Greek word irene. And it means unity and accord, which uh, to to kind of summarize a lot of what happens in the New Testament, it's the objective of the New Testament church. Right? So it's the goal, it's what the New Testament church is working for, it's what the New Testament church is, is fighting for. Now, in both of these, in both the Old Testament and New Testament, both of these words can be used as greetings, right? And so it would not be uncommon during either time of God's people to greet one another with peace, right? Probably a lot different than when I was saying that repeatedly over and over in middle school, right? But that's what it was. That's the greeting that they would have back and forth from one another. As we look into some other of Paul's writings, Philippians 4 tells us about God's peace, and it says that it transcends earthly matters, right? So that peace is not actually found 
in the earth and the circumstances, that peace transcends every argument, every debate, every moment of conflict, that in spite of all that exists, all the tension, all the turmoil, that peace is still accessible and that peace is still there. And so that's why we can look at scripture and see some crazy things from from Jesus, from the words of the apostles, some crazy things from God's word, where, where he says things like, don't be anxious for anything. Right? But, but you don't understand the circumstance that I'm in. But you've got to understand that peace transcends all that. So, so don't be anxious for anything. Have, have peace. And in that, in having peace and transcending all of these earthly things, that God in those moments will guard our hearts and our minds. In spite of the circumstances. And that this peace, the, the peace of God, not only does it transcend all earthly matters, but it transcends all understanding, right? So the level of peace that we're talking about, definitely if you're outside of the faith, but even for us who are in the faith, even for those who are matured into faith, to completely comprehend the peace of God is not obtainable for you or I. We can't. It's trying to fully wrap our mind around something that our minds and our earthly limitations cannot handle. But because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, peace is abundant in every situation unlike anything the world has to offer. So that we can know no matter what we battle, what we face, that peace dwells within us and that this peace is obtainable. So this week when I was sitting down and, and, and looking over all of these themes as, as we look at and as we begin to study and understand more about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, I began to just write down like, all right, but what are the things that you're remembering with different parts and different places of the Bible where this is definitely a topic? And the first thing that came to my mind, the, the, the first thing that hit me as I began to think about peace was the Christmas narrative, right? With, with the shepherds and the angels. And the Bible tells us that there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's the greeting of the angels. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, literally embodied in the form of the baby of Christ, there is peace. And so what I want to begin with this morning and, and, and us looking and beginning to understand this is that Jesus, in the theme of Christmas, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah writes and says, For to us a child is born, to a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And so what we want us to understand is, is this, that peace is God's gift to mankind accomplished through the work and life of Jesus. That as we look at peace, we have to understand that the source, the person, the embodiment of this in the life and the work in which he came to do is Jesus. So what does it mean in all of the titles and everything that was given? What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? 
And in order to understand that, we have to look at the gospel, understand the gospel, and see what Jesus came to do. Right? And to give a perspective of our self. Right? We have to understand that before Christ, before our relationship with him, that you and I, we weren't just like these buddies, acquaintances with the Lord, but we're out kind of doing our own little thing and it just hasn't lined up with us and him yet, right? That the Bible teaches us that we were at war with God. We were at war with God. And so God sent Jesus to die for us. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says this, that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So look at this, right? We were objects, is what Ephesians 2 tells us. We were objects of wrath for God because we were enemies of God. And so he sent Jesus to reconcile us, to bring peace. And so now our relationship with God is not marked by war and conflict, but our relationship with God for all of us who know him, who are found in him, who have the Holy Spirit, all of us are not marked by war and conflict, but by peace. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is eternal peace. This peace isn't going away. Even sometimes we can still fight, we can still rebel, we can still run, we can still choose the things lesser than God. There's still the peace of the Lord that's there. It's the work that Jesus came to do and to came fully, right? And then what God does is God gives us the Holy Spirit who manifests himself in us so that not only do we have peace, but this is important, that we show peace to the world. We show peace to the world. So Jesus is our Prince of Peace, and then God calls for us to be people of peace. This is it. We are called to be people of peace. Now, this past week at VBS, I had, I had a really cool job. I love the job that I was able to do. I was, got to dress up in, in, in Bible clothes and, and tell the Bible adventure each week. And it was a wonderful time. Each night there was a different story that we would tell, that we would walk through, be able to ask kids questions, have them talk about it in their groups. And I love each week of being able to do that. And, and on the last night, we, we talked about the Great Commission. And in talking about the Great Commission, we looked at it and said, you know, it's not just about telling people about Jesus and seeing them come to faith. Now, let me pause really quick. Those are two very important parts of the Great Commission, right? But, but that's not the fullness of the Great Commission. Yes, it's telling people. It's seeing people come to faith. But the third aspect of that is Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, and then teach them all that I have commanded you. All that I've instructed you, all that I've shown you, all that you've modeled. So here's what this means. What we see, what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've been told by Jesus is then not left up for us to see if we feel like we are called to do it, if we want to do it, if we're able to do it, if we're good at doing it. Jesus says, no, you do it because I've commanded you to do it. 
So that when we look at these different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like, well, nah, I'm good at this, good at this, good at this, good at this, not good at this, not going to worry about it, good at this, good at this, good at this, right? No, Jesus says, no, you, you, you do them because I've commanded you, this is who you to be, right? And so when Jesus commands us and we see from God's word that we're called to be people of peace. Now, here's what Peter is going to talk about this in, in 1 Peter. Now, if you know the apostle Peter, um, his personality was not necessarily peaceful, right? He, he was a guy that was pretty good with conflict, right? Have you ever heard people say, like, I love conflict, I love the tension, I love those moments, right? right? That's not some of us, but, but man, that was the apostle Peter. He wasn't afraid of the moment. But here's what he says in 1 Peter 3.11. He says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it, right? So peace for you and I isn't something we get to decide if we want to pursue or not. We're commanded to pursue it. And for the rest of this message, we're going to look and see what that means. Because you're probably sitting there thinking right now, like, there's these individuals in my life, and man, we're just meshed so well together. And when we hang out, there's never a moment of argument. There's never a moment of conflict. And man, to, to live in peace with them, absolutely sign me up. And then, but then there's those other people, right? Or that other person. And right now, you're picturing them in their brain, and you know who they are, okay? You know them, and you're like, but that's not me with them. The rub that we have, the issue that we have, what they've done to me, all that's gone on. But God calls us, you and I, to be people of peace. And so we're called to do it. So where and with whom does God call us to pursue peace? We'll look at three aspects that we can see in Scripture. Uh, number one is in the home. Is in the home. For some of you, your home is a place of peace, and for others, yours isn't. And here's what God says in, in Ephesians 6, Paul writes. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. All right, let's pause here for just a second, all right? So I'm going to walk over now and head over to the kids' ministry building. And parents, I'll be back in about 10 minutes. I'm about to lay it on them, all right? Right? Like, that's what we think. Like, why aren't they all in here? Like, why is Emma just in here and Grace in it? And you know what I mean? Like, like this is all of them. But here's, what I wanna, here's something I want to point out is we're largely in a group of people who are adults. This doesn't come with an age limit. Honor your father and mother doesn't go away when you turn 18. So some of you are like, yeah, I'm nudging my kid, but what if your parents were here with you this morning at 35, 45, 55, 65 years old? This is the asset. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of the commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. But then it continues on, right? Not with limit. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Happy Father's Day, dads. Fathers, as the spiritual leaders in your home, 
Fathers is the one that God has entrusted and called. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the beautiful thing is that when the home is under Christ, and that children, whether they're 5, they're 15, or they're 45, understand what it means to honor their father and mother, and fathers understand what it means to, to raise and to nurture and to discipline and to instruct and to do all those things, what we see in the home is peace. So maybe I need to dance a little less in Walmart, right? Nah, she still laughs at me. All right, number two. In the church, in the church, us, in the church, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first thing, the first word that we say, see there, eager. Be eager. This is what you've determined to do. This is what you are looking for. Be eager to do this. This is what you're waiting for. This is the anticipation. This is what you're fighting for. You are eager to do something. You woke up this morning with the excitement of what you get to do today, of what you got to be on guard for, of what you got to look out for. And us as a church, what we have to within our walls together is to be eager. What we have to do as we work with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are Methodist and Pentecostal and Presbyterian and different denominations is we have to be eager because we're the body of Christ. We have to be eager. We have to look for it. We have to aim for it. We have to set for it. And we have to stop fighting over the things that don't matter and be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And what we see here is that, that peace and, and unity are connected. Peace and unity are connected. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not conflict. I don't want, I don't want to paint this false facade of life that in order to have peace, that you cannot have conflict. You do have conflict. You do see conflict. You see conflict in Scripture. You see conflict amongst the disciples. You see conflict in church discipline be handled and walked through. There is those aspects of those things there, but the conflict is working towards something. The conflict is not working toward, let me prove how I am right. Let me prove my agenda but the conflict is working toward peace. And, and then the third one, in all relationships, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, says, strive for peace with everyone, right? Even that neighbor, even that coworker, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with everyone. We're about to look at a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that hurts my feelings every time that I read it. All right? But to strive for peace with everyone. So, so how, do we, how do we do this? How do you and I on our day-to-day -day, in our life and in our interactions with what we do, how do we do this? So, so earlier, though, we, we said peace is God's gift to man accomplished through the work and life of Jesus what Romans 5 teaches us. Romans 5 teaches us that peace is God's gift to man accomplished through the work and the life of Jesus. So if this is true, if we can yes and amen 
that the peace of God that you and I experience, the peace of God that is eternal, that rests in us, if it's found in the, in the work and in the life of Jesus, then the conclusion we have to come to is that the peace of God requires sacrifice. The peace of God requires sacrifice. So in order to you to be a man or a woman of peace, what you need to embrace in your life is sacrifice. The Bible calls us and tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. And when an ambassador, during the time when Paul wrote that, when an ambassador would go and speak for someone, that ambassador carried the authority of the one who sent them. And so that when the Bible says that we are ambassadors, that means that we represent Christ and that we're called to tell and to show the world he, uh, who he is. So we seek to live in peace with everyone. And then here's where this gets us. Here's where it hurts my feelings. Here's where it steps on my toes. Here's the parts that I wrestle with. Even the people we deem deserve, who, who, the people who we deem do not deserve it. Well, they don't, but do you know, they don't deserve my peace. But I didn't deserve the peace of God when Jesus died. So, what prevents this? What prevents from showing peace? And here's what we're going to look at and see in the fight against in Romans 12 is this, that pride prevents peace. Pride prevents it. Your and my deep desire to want to be right, to want our own justification, to want our own standing. Our pride prevents peace. Look at Romans 12, starting in verse 14. Paul writes and he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all people. So how do we live in peace? Well, Romans 12 is going to cover some three aspects of what it means to live in peace that would ring true for those Christians and first century Christians and ring true for us today. The number one thing that you and I, if we're going to be people of peace, is that we have to be counterculture Christians. Our culture cannot determine for us what peace is, what peace looks like, and for us to decide if we are going to be people of peace. If you and I are going to defeat pride and be people of peace, we have to understand we have to be countercultural. And it's been countercultural from the beginning. We're called to be a light in a world of darkness, that we're called to be hope where there is no hope. This is not an attack on 2022 culture, this is an attack on the sin of man where we're called to shine the light. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I'll ask you a question. Like, what do you want to do to people who hurt you? Right? Like yesterday, I'm driving down the interstate, 
and I hear this noise. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's a guy on a motorcycle. And we're coming into Charlotte. And I don't know about you, but there's about a billion punishments in the world that I would take other than driving through Charlotte traffic, okay? It's just terrible. And I hear, coming in. And then I see him like flying in and around. And then right in between me and another car who are like this, he comes over and comes over in front. And I hit the brakes and all of this. And then we watch him. And he didn't hurt me, but he made me mad. Right? And I wanted to speed up the car and instruct him on how that was not wise to do that. Right? I wanted to. But peace. Right? What do you do if people want to hurt you? Do you want to hurt them? Do you want to let others know who they really are? Do you want to shut them out of your life? Here's what Paul says. Let me sum up these several verses. Paul says, when there are those who hurt you, Paul says, do good for them. Even the good they do not deserve. That's what it means to fight against culture. That's what it means to head into the opposite direction. And and then he says, right, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So what Paul's getting to is in being people of peace, what we do is, is we empathize with all people in all situations. When there are those who hurt, we hurt. When there are those who rejoice, we rejoice. And what this does, when we begin to think of this, what does it do? If, If I'm having the best day of my life, It's phenomenal. Everything's going wonderful. And my wife walks in and she's had a terrible day at work. Then what do I do? Do I listen to her and say, I'm sorry, your day's terrible, but let me tell you how great my day was? No. When she hurts, I hurt. And counter to that, when she comes home and she's had the terrible day and I've had the good day and she walks right in and before she can set her bag down, I begin to tell her all the wonderful things that happened to me that day. What does she do for me? Right? She rejoices. She rejoices. Her day wasn't great, but mine was. And so that's what it looks like. And what it does This crazy thing, when we weep with those who weep, when we rejoice with those who rejoice, what happens to us is we begin to not think of ourselves first. First, right? Paul continues on, and and he says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And so so here's what I think we can can draw from this in the context of living in peace. We've got to change our view on humanity we got to change our view on humanity. And we've got to stop seeing the world as, as, as us versus them. We've got to stop living in the world that it's a fight, that it's a battle. And, and instead, we begin to see the world not in the battle of us versus them, but we begin to see the world in the spiritual fight of us for them to declare the hope of the gospel and to love, and to care, and to be people of peace. Verse 18, here's what he says. Here's what Paul says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. 
If possibly, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, yes, I said earlier, right? We're going to hit situations in our life as we live in this world. We're in a relationship with someone where peace cannot be found. They're going to live in conflict. They're going to live in hatred. They're going to live in anger. And I heard this verse talked about as kind of the, the clause that gets us out. Lord, I tried. Wash my hands. I'm done. But I don't think that's what we're seeing here. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Now, let me read it to me. If possible, so far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. I wrote three words in my notes to explain this verse. Worry about you. Worry about you. So many times in this, in this life, in these relationships, in these moments, in these pieces of conflict, I will sit there and unpack for hours all the things, all the wrongs, all that they've done, and why in them this can't possibly happen, this possibly can't exist. But Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Guess what I can't control? Them. Guess who I can? Me. As far as, so as, far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. So they're going to hurt me. They're going to do these things. They're going to be against me. Then what is my reaction? As far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. And that's so counterculture. How do we live in peace? Well, stop giving the excuse of your conflict and how they're the sole reason for it. And instead, how it rests with us. And then we'll close with this, verse 19. Or verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap coals on his head. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we live in peace? We just got to trust God. We just got to trust God. Jesus is our standard. Right? Jesus is our standard. And for Jesus' life, Trusting the plan of the Father was what he did in his work, in his life, in his death. And so if you are going to be a person of peace, if you and I are going to be people of peace, we must be willing to be a person of sacrifice. Peace is not about fair, but it's about laying aside our rights in the hopes that others may come to know him, and in that process, you and I grow and mature our faith in Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the hard, cutting truth 
of your scripture. Lord, thank you for reminding us of, the, of who we were. We were not people of peace. We weren't even at peace with ourselves, at peace with you. We were at war with you. And so, Father, you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. We would be justified, that we would be saved from your wrath, that we would no longer be enemies, but reconciled to you through the death of your Son. And Lord, now we have peace with you. Lord, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know that peace, the peace of the Lord, Lord, I pray that we would begin there this morning. Lord, that today that the truth that they are a sinner incapable of saving themselves. They can't do enough good. They can't make enough wrongs right. In fact, the Bible tells us that before Christ, we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And so God, you sent your son and it's through his perfect life and his death and his resurrection that they're saved from their sins, that they're saved from the wrath of God, and their relationship with you is restored. And we're no longer enemies, but we're children of God. And Lord, I pray today would be the day they put their faith, their hope, their trust in you. That today on this Father's Day, they would acknowledge who their heavenly Father is. And their identity would be found in you and you alone. Lord, help us be people of peace. Lord, I pray that peace would ring in our homes and reign in our lives our relationships, Lord, where it's difficult, Lord, that we would fight for it, Lord, that we would embrace what your word says, that if possible, so far as it depends on us, that we choose to live in peace, even those that hurt us, even those that mock us, we would show them in the body, that we would show them the, the peace that you give us, the love that you give us. Lord, do that maturing deep in us today. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.